It's time for a moment of clarity with your hosts, Galen Dietering, Phil Stargell, and Ed Bondarenka. Faith, faith, faith politics, politics, history, history, and current events. Current events. And now, your hosts, Galen, Phil, and Ed. Coronavirus? Yeah, yeah hysteria, miseducation, racism. Nobody understands how to cough right. It's so hot right now. Let's go to China and shoot a video. What the hell are you talking Dude, about? Dude, let's go. Everyone's going the other way. I think you need to pump the brakes, Tom. Tickets are going to be so cheap, my brother. They're so cheap. this virus i'm glad we came to china you know you got to wash your hands cover your cough don't eat feces you know it's really I, le- I learned a lot too i learned a lot too i learned that you can get a whole civic cat in the wuhan meat market for 17 you are also fell in love with an asian lady playing water China, my bro? Absolutely not. This is the epicenter. You're really going to get infected without a mask. No, nah, man, I'm a white American. Nothing bad ever happens to us, you know? Ah! Oh, yes, so <laughs> He died because of the racist. Okay. All right. So that's enough of that. Um, we are here laughing at our <laughs> at my music selection. I Corona. Oh man, it's and it's a funny video. But uh, you know, I, I, we want to talk about today what the coronavirus is doing to education and how that's all gonna kind of change up stuff in the fall. So I just want to say good afternoon to my co-host, to Phil. Hi, Phil. How you doing good today? After, good. I'm doing terrific. How about you? I, I am, am happy. 
I, I am so glad that you played that song because there's something that has been on my mind for a long time. You know, <laughs> um, we on the Republican side have never used the fact that the Democrats seem so eager to use the coronavirus to beat the, the bejeebers out of uh, President Trump and get away with it. You know, they act as if, you know, uh, this is uh, nothing uh, at all. I mean, that that President Trump was, you know, not able to handle this, but if it was he me, if I was... He's doing a phenomenal job. Yes, He's I think so. He's doing a phenomenal job. But, and I loved it when he did his press yeah. conference a while ago, and he said... Look, you say I haven't this, that, and the other, and here's all the steps and everything that we've done. And I thought that was great a couple months ago. But, you know, he's never said anything about how the, the, the Democrats have obstructed every inch of what he's tried to do. They fought oh, everything absolutely. he's tried to do. And and I know that if, if it was the turned around, they would be saying, that he was the cause of it happening. He colluded with the Chinese to get the virus here to stop the eco economic situation. <laughs> that's how. That's how. They're pretty just ridiculous. Nasty the, the, the Democrats are. Yeah, they are really nasty people. They are. Hey, Ed, how are you doing today, Ed? Good to see you. And to. Is this thing? This thing is working. Yes, sir. Yeah. I hear you. I yeah. see you. Five so by you five. Say so were you saying that President Trump has never complained about about the uh, uh, press about him? He's never complained about everything. Oh, being no, he has. I, I haven't heard it because if it was me, I'd be saying, OK, you guys say that I delayed action and you impeach me up into February. You and Nancy Pelosi held on to the impeachment papers. You need I to think he missed Fox that News. press conference. Watch Fox News. I saw him say all that. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. Hey guys, let's say let's say good afternoon to Derek Stone, the wonderful Wizard of Wham. How are you doing today, Derek? I'm doing pretty good. good hey, that's morning, great. I, I see. Day. Yeah, good afternoon. You, know, you guys, you know, Ed morning, always complains morning, about. <laughs> yeah, Ed always complains about me saying good afternoon. So I quit doing it because Ed complains. But yeah. look, see what happens when I don't say it. Phil doesn't know what time of day it is. Yep. <laughs> hey, it, uh, it happens that way when you when you when you're on the on the early crew. You know, it, <laughs> it starts hey. early and it keeps on going all day. <laughs> yep. All right. So we're going to have a great show for you guys today. We're going to have Donna X, who is a Michigan public school teacher, and she's going to come on after our moment on sports because. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the changes in education that are coming down. But, you know, I do want to ask Derek a question real quick because you guys cannot see him on Skype, but uh, I can see him. And I want to know, what's that T-shirt you're wearing? Oh, yeah, this is a Detroit Pistons T-shirt, back-to-back world champions from 1989 and 1990. It's part of the—yeah, right. it's got the championship rings on it. I thought that's what I was looking at, but I wasn't sure. Hey, so why don't we toss this over to you real quick for your moment on sports, my friend? All right. Thank you very much, and welcome to this moment on sports. I am Derek Stone. The Detroit Tigers will begin their 60-game regular season next Friday, July 24th, and that got me to thinking, what are some of the best 60-game stretches in by Tigers players in franchise history? 
And for purposes of this this discussion, I've gotten the range to 57 to 63 games, which position players for the Detroit Tigers have done very well in terms of hitting and driving in runs, hitting home runs. And first off, this is arguably one of the two best players in Tigers baseball history. Not my choice, actually, but by many pundits, he is the greatest player in Detroit Tigers baseball history, and that would be the Georgia Peach, Ty Cobb. He played for the Tigers from 1905 to 1926, and in 1912, he had an amazing stretch. In June and July of that season, over 58 games, he batted 448 with four home runs, 37 runs batted in, 16 walks, 26 stolen bases, 107 hits, 17 doubles, 9 triples, 53 runs scored, and 154 total bases. And then 10 years later in 1922, Cobb in July and August of that year over a 60-game stretch, he batted 431 with two home runs, 37 runs batted in, 24 walks, 7 stolen bases, 106 hits, 24 doubles, 4 triples, 44 runs scored, and 144 total bases. The following year in 1923, Another big-time Tigers legend who doesn't get the same press as Ty Cobb. That would be Harry Heilman. In August, September, and October, over a 58-game stretch in 1923, he batted 416 with five home runs, 52 runs batted in, 29 walks, 87 hits, 17 doubles, 6 triples, 50 runs scored, and 131 total bases. And then in 1927, Heilman, over a 57-game stretch in July and August, batted 431 with nine home runs, 57 runs batted in, 33 walks, 91 hits, 24 doubles, three triples, 54 runs scored, and 148 total bases. And the next legendary Detroit Tigers player I will mention is, in my mind, the greatest player in Detroit Tigers baseball history. That would be Hammerin' Hank Greenberg. In 1934, in June and July of that year, over 58 games, he batted 357 with 10 home runs, 62 runs batted in, 21 walks, 84 hits, 23 doubles, 5 triples, 50 runs scored, and 147 total bases. And the following year, in 1935, which the Tigers won their first World Series in franchise history, Greenberg, over a 59-game stretch in June and July of that year, batted 363 with 17 home runs, 79 runs batted in, 28 walks, 91 hits, 24 doubles, 8 triples, 55 runs scored, and 182 total bases. And a couple of years later in 1937, Greenberg once again was red hot. This time in July and August, over 58 games, he batted 368 with 13 home runs, 76 runs batted in, 37 walks, 84 hits, 24 doubles, 4 triples, 57 runs scored, and 155 total bases. And in 1938, Greenberg, over 63 games in August, September, and October, batted 316 with 21 home runs, 68 runs batted in, 49 walks, 71 hits, 
11 doubles, 61 runs scored, and 145 total bases. Will any of the current Detroit Tigers players have a red-hot 60-game stretch like these Detroit Tigers legends have had over the course of this legendary Major League Baseball franchise? Tune in to find out starting next Friday for the 2020 Detroit Tigers season. That's my moment on sports. Gaylene, go ahead and take it away. That's awesome. Hey, you know, I've been I've been hearing some buzz about the Tigers. Um, don't they have a new pitcher who's supposed to be really phenomenal? Um, and uh, what is this? what do they call it when they're playing these training games? Is that that's not a scrimmage game, is it? Um, in baseball, what do they call it? They call them intra squad games. Intra squad squad. Wow, I can't even say that. <laughs> Intra squad games. Okay, so uh, so I've been hearing that there's been some really great players, new players that are kind of showing up. Yeah, there there are a lot of exciting young prospects for the Tigers right now. Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, Casey Mize, and Matt Manning. Those are the Fab Four, as I call them, of the young Tigers prospects and. They're going to, going to be a lot of fun to watch, maybe not this season. They still need some seasoning down in the minors, but expect to see them within the next two to three years. All right, got to remember that name, Torkelson. It's fun to yeah. say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if any of the automotive companies are listening in the metro Detroit area, get Spencer Torkelson to be, to be part of their ad campaigns because with more torque becomes more power. Oh, very clever, very clever. Thanks a lot, Derek. Hey, I want to welcome to the show Donna X. Thank you so much for waiting on the line with us, Donna. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. How are you doing this fine, hot Saturday? Good, good afternoon, everyone. A virtual hug to you all, and I'm doing great. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. You know, it was uh, it was nice to get outside this morning early before it gets too hot, but it ought to be pretty good. Um, anyway, uh, the pastor says that you are his favorite blonde, and oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm glad to uh, glad to have you on the show with us. So we're going to talk about now. You are a Michigan public school teacher. What? grade range do you teach? Are you elementary or are you junior high? Uh, upper elementary. Upper elementary. Okay. So I'm curious about what the classrooms looked like at the end of the school room, uh, at the end of the school year for you. Were you involved in any of the online teaching? Were you involved in things like that uh, uh, to help these kids finish up their school year? Uh, yes, we went directly from the classroom to online, but the district wasn't prepared because nobody was trained in this. So what they did for the first few weeks is, they had students, uh, they gave us, they gave the uh, teachers a topic to give to the students related to the content area, and they had to write a small paragraph until okay. they could figure out what they wanted to do with the online teaching part of it. So after about three weeks, we went online, and uh, we had a curriculum. Each content area had uh we had, like, teachers in each area write it up, 
give it to the teachers, the teachers gave it to the students, and the students had a week's worth of work that they had to do in that content area. So how many days were you teaching per week within your particular content area, which could be math or American history or English, if I understand this correctly. So how many days a week were you interacting with one group of students? So so Billy, Johnny, and Bobby are all in one class, and Susie and, and Patty and, and, uh, and Karen are all in another class. How often were you dealing with class one and how often were you dealing with class two? How often did you see these kids? Um, the teacher saw or at least interacted through email with all the kids every day. It was up to okay. the students if they were motivated to participate in the assignment, but not all kids participated. That was yeah. So that was the setback because... The kids kind of knew that this wasn't going to be graded, and they kind of figured it probably is optional. So not all of them did this. Out of all how much of that do you think has to do with the parents too? I mean, parents exactly. have to be able to, uh, you know, to be involved enough to make the kids sit down, do the work, turn in assignments, etc. So, do you feel like over the summer? Or, or at the end of the school year, you were having decent results with parents trying to kind of motivate these kids? Um, with the online teaching, you mean? Yeah. Uh, well, I, out of all my students, I had about 10% that were motivated to give it their all. I received excellent results from them, and I would feel good about giving them a report card grade, 10%. They would uh, do the assignment, read, look at the video, answer the questions, and then take the te- a little quiz at the end. Another no. 10% did absolutely nothing. <clears throat> I never heard mm. from them. And then 80% of the kids were on and off, and they did probably poor to fair at best. Okay, that's interesting. So... Moving forward with this being the new normal, I'm curious because they're talking about part-time students and students being being part-time in the classroom and then part-time online. Do you think that that's going to have a better effect, that the students will be more engaged with the online portions because they know they're going to see your face at least once or twice a week in person? I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think so okay. at all because... Uh, Unless, like what you said, the parents are uh, pushing the kids to sit down, do the work. I, I had a hard enough time even getting feedback from the parents of those students that didn't participate at all or very little. So there's not mm. a lot of motivation coming from the parents. So, wow. So do you feel like some of these parents use school as like the babysitter? Babysitter, Okay, I'm going to pack my kids off for five hours a day so I don't have to deal with them? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and in Michigan, if they're going to go to online teaching, they're going to have to change the law because Michigan law states, I believe it's 180 days of instruction, 1,098 instructional hours. That's in person. So if it's online, they're going to have to change it. I know Ohio, uh, they can do, I believe, online, and it counts. 
Michigan Interesting. Have that. You, you, okay. You know, we've got a caller on the phone. So can, because of the technical difficulties, because you're on the phone, uh, I'm going to ask Derek to put you on hold. Hopefully you'll be able to hear the question. We have a comment from a caller and I'd like to do this. So um, Bruce uh, is on the phone with a comment about uh, elementary education. And Donna, please stay on the line and you'll be right back to us. So can we uh, talk to Bruce for a second? Hey. Okay, Bruce. Hey, yeah. Kayleen, how are you today? <laughs> I am okay, and thank you for calling in. What's your comment about <laughs> elementary education? We have to well, be kind of quick about this because, okay. uh, and it sounds uh, like you need to turn the radio down behind you. Yeah, uh, let me let me just get this uh <laughs> Okay, there we go. That that, sh uh, that should be good. Is that okay now? Uh, that's a lot better. Okay, okay so we've great. only got like uh, a minute. What's your comment? Well, my question was real briefly, uh, going back to my experience in the upper elementary grades, uh, we began studying American history and world history. And, and, and the, uh, the, the real uh, urgency, I think, that we teach, start teaching real history in our, in our schools now instead of uh, this this uh, this leftist nonsense we're getting um you take karl marx for instance uh you know people have not, i don't think enough people have studied uh, the life of karl marx or anything like that um and just what that just what that meant for the world and uh i'm just wondering uh donna uh when do you start teaching uh history in uh in your upper grade levels Okay, that's a really good question. Thank you. And uh, we're going to bring, uh, I'm, I'm going to say goodbye to you, but please stay listening so that uh, Donna can answer that question. And uh, let's see, Donna, did you hear the question? When do, in your grade levels, do you start teaching American history and world history? Um, the lower elementary starts with some history, but they no longer, they're, it's no history per se it's social studies so social studies as opposed to history yes get no history whatsoever um like what the caller was stating uh they okay. do touch upon it in the high school uh i don't teach the high school so i can't speak on them but it, it's all social studies until then Okay. Do you have a radio on in the background in your house? Because if you do, no. I'm hearing it. No, no radio. Okay. Then somebody on one of our three lines is listening to something through speakers that's feeding back. Um, okay. Anyway, hopefully the listeners can't hear that, but I sure can. All right. So that's very interesting because it's like social studies leads to social justice, leads to, leads to, uh, all sorts of revisionist history. And in my experience, you know, one of my nephews was going to school in Arizona and they actually taught him in junior high that the Holocaust didn't happen. And wow. that's just, yeah, that that was fabricated. And that, you know, I just, I just, I hate the revisionist history. You know, we collect books here because somebody's got to preserve this knowledge. Once something goes out of print, they can print whatever they want, you know? And I feel like people don't value paper books like they should because a paper book that was printed 20 years ago um, is not going to change, and to me, that's really important. So um, from a pedagogical standpoint, from a teaching standpoint, how do you feel that um, 
they're going to improve distance learning for the fall. Do you think that they will at all? Well, they haven't put anything in writing yet because our wonderful governor keeps changing things. But there are two ideas that the district in where I'm at is coming up with. Okay, can we talk about those after the break? Because we are right up against our break, and we will come back in just a few minutes with a really interesting conversation about what's going on in education. All right, thank you. and Ed Bondarenka on Wham. All righty, folks. We are back with our guest, Donna X. And we have, uh, Phil wants to ask a question. And I think we're going to just open up with that because I think it kind of leads from our whole conversation about social studies becoming social justice. So let's kind of start with, with Phil's question and we'll kind of roll from there. Yeah, my question is one that that I was really disturbed with when they put it in. Are they still using self-esteem as part of the curriculum, or have they finally taken that out? You mean uh, uh, teaching self-esteem or... Teaching self-esteem or having it part of the curriculum? It's always brought up in the classroom. The self-esteem and how you feel and... yeah. You know, don't feel bad, and all the the coddling going on. It's it's constantly in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But constantly it, it, coddling, yeah. But it, is it uh, is it part of the uh, because what they used to say is that they teach self esteem, and I have never figured out how uh, you teach somebody to have something that that they experience, you know, through life, uh, through uh, successes uh, on their own, on their own success. Yeah. Yeah. In the, you know, in the lower grades, especially, I think this is happening from uh, early on. Um, But it's, it's not how much you work for something anymore. It's, oh, don't make them feel bad. It's, you know, it's it's all the participation the trophy stuff. Yes. I wonder why exactly. kids commit suicide and commit acts of violence, and it's this whole participation trophy. And if I'm not, if I'm not told how wonderful I am, even though I didn't do half of what I'm supposed to do, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna hurt somebody or do something. And I, uh, bleh. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things we give certificates at the end of the year. We actually give a uh, award to the person that raises the flag every day. Oh, wow. Boy. Oh, boy. They should rotate that responsibility. Hey, Ed, <laughs> what were you going to add? Well, I was just going to mention that, you know, esteem either comes from others or from God, and they've taken God out of the equation. So that means if you want esteem in the classroom, you have to basically, you have to suck up to everybody else and make them like you, you know? 
Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, we have a we have another caller on the line. So, Donna, we're going to go through that whole putting you on hold thing again. Okay. Um, but Elizabeth is on the phone with a question about curriculum. So let's have Elizabeth come on and ask a quick question. Short, though, for me, if you would. All right, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Um, thank you. Um, I have a friend who sits on the board in Ohio, the, edu- the school board. And last week they passed 1619 and Black Lives Matter as an important part of the curriculum. They're going yes. to be teaching. We're going to actually talk about that in a little bit with what's going on in the state of Michigan, too. It, it passed as part of their curriculum, 12 to 5 in Ohio. Wow. 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 Thank you for sharing that with us. That's that's a little disturbing because we know Terrifying. that these people are are funded by Antifa. Yep. Thank so. you. Yes, thank you for calling. Okay, so uh, that's a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about now. Um, Donna, can you share with us what the summer instruction for teachers that you were sharing with me off air? Tell me about this new sensitivity training. Well, uh, it isn't mandated yet, but um, they were giving an optional month-long uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, course for teachers to take during the summer. It's a month long. It's a committee of teachers, counselors, and an ad- administrators, and it's a variety of uh, racial equity challenge classes, videos, readings, um, well, that doesn't sound so terrible. I mean, we need to learn about other cultures and we need to learn about other people and we need to learn, you know, about about things like that. So what are some of the the titles of things that we that that you are expected, hoped for to take? What kind of what well, kind of things are you supposed to be learning? For instance, there, these are some of the titles. Uh, explaining white privilege to a broke white person. White bread. White privilege. Are you racist? No isn't a good enough answer. How can we win? <laughs> Eliminating microaggressions. The next level of inclusion. Black Lives Matter. Black Joy Matters too. Teaching tolerance, social justice standards. If you see racism, say racism, racism. So things like this. Wow. So so I'm curious. I wonder where, you know, explaining white privilege to a poor white person. That's interesting, considering that my white privilege would be um, having a father that got up to go to work in shoes with holes in the bottom so that he didn't buy new shoes so he could put milk on the table. I guess that makes me privileged. Well, hey, you had milk on the table. I had milk on the table because my father went out and worked his butt off at six in the morning, five in the morning, and and until dark. Milk is white privilege. Apparently. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I know, Phil. What do you have to say about white privilege? Do you have you experienced white privilege, or have you experienced other people having white privilege, Phil? Well, one of these days when we got a long time to sit down and chew this over, I'll tell you. But you know, the 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 privilege of 
any race or any uh, group of people is, is, is directly related to the amount of sweat equity, equity they put into it. You know, the, and then somebody else can step back and make a judgment on it, you know, 20 years down the, uh, down the road. You know, yeah. and, uh, and and say whether or not they uh, deserve what they worked so hard for. So it's it's very easy to stand back and judge somebody else. But uh, yeah. the the thing about it is that when it comes to those kind of things, I have always said that if if you uh, if you put the 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 work into it and not leave it to others, see we. Uh, have left a lot of uh, uh, of the necessary things to be done to be done by our leaders and our politicians, and they are the ones that I consider the ones that let us down. If there's any privilege in this country, it's in the political class. Yeah, Ed, go ahead, Ed, jump well, in. Yeah, there is such a thing as privilege, and there are people who get privilege not by working for it, but it's usually mm -hmm. class privilege. It's yeah. usually by having wealthy parents. You know, yep. like most of those kids that are marching out in the streets and tearing down statues that their kids, their parents sent them to wealthy colleges. Those kids have privilege and they're mistaking class privilege because that's all they know is their class. And they're mistaking it with white privilege because they're white. That's and, very and, interesting. I think that's a really good point, though. And, yes. And, and trying to uh, that guilt that has been laid on them because of what came about before them today especially i mean there is there is opportunity and everything else in this country it has to be looked at with uh without trying to judge people or judge people that came before us you know the generation before us they were busy doing the same things but they it was a different climate and it was a different uh 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 just a different way of doing things. People had different ideas. And so it took time and we all understood that, I, you know, I understood that there were some things that, that people wanted when I was a kid, you know, um, but I think that you probably have heard somebody say that we didn't know we were poor, you know, and yes. Be because I'm telling you, everybody um, that I lived around, you know, they had fathers going to work every morning. And uh, then one, one day we found out we were poor. So I, I don't know. I, I don't uh, I don't understand it. Yeah. I uh, Ed wants to say something and then I want to get back to our guests, too. But go ahead, Ed. I'm sorry. I was just going to say I never knew I was poor because actually I wasn't. <laughs> but my parents made me go out and get a job on a farm, you know, just yeah. like my kids went out and got a job on a farm and they didn't they didn't pay my way through school. I ended up in the service. So, you know, it's it's not just that your parents have money or not. It's whether they have class. Thank yeah. you. That's really good. You know, and it's interesting because I went to school um, for a very short period of time. I went to school at a Catholic school which was a pay school um and my dad worked for the school in order to pay my tuition he did pest control 
And I was not the doctor's kid or the lawyer's kid. And yes, I experienced some kind of teasing because my clothes weren't as fancy and my and and you know maybe my bill wasn't paid on time. I actually remember being called into the principal's office in seventh grade and being told um being being told that I wouldn't be able to go to school the next day if my parents didn't pay the bill. And I'll tell you what, my daddy went down there and there was a conversation had because you don't make a seventh grader uh, stand in front of the principal because a bill may or may not have been paid. But, uh, you know, so there's my white privilege is that my father did the pest control for the school so that I could go to a go to a different school. You know, um, I guess. Uh, so, uh, Donna, back to this conversation about some of these titles. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I do DEI training at my institution and I want to focus on things that I see as a problem like accessibility for handicapped people. To me, that's a big passion or um, veterans rights and, and how veterans are dealt with on campus. So, I mean, is there anything like that within these titles that you feel that you can grab onto, participate, expand your mind and think about? No, they're all based on uh, and like the topics I had told you, they're all based on being racist and white supremacy and things like that. And I'm afraid that when we go back that they're going to probably have some PSD days that are required for our teachers to take. I can guarantee hmm. that they're going to have some of that. Well, you know what? I think you should go because you have to be the voice of reason, as you often are. I know that you often are kind of doing battle with them over being stupid. Um, hey, you know what? I've got another caller on the line. So, Gary, uh, our good friend Gary is on the phone. So let's have Gary come on and make his comment about white privilege. Come on on, Gary. How, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing fine. And I'd, I'd like to confess my privilege. During the 70s and early 80s, I had, I had disco privilege. That's right. I was a dancing machine. And when I get on that floor, <laughs> people would part in front of me, and I would just dance and dance. That's oh, it. my goodness. Well, hey, I, I, go ahead, Phil. At least you weren't uh, like Bullwinkle. You weren't a dancing fool. You know? <laughs> so. That's right. Uh, dancing machine. Okay. Yeah. All right, guys, take it easy. All right, thanks a lot, Gary. Thanks for that levity. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, I, I have to take DEI stuff, and I, and I do. There are things that I actually appreciate that I've learned, but sometimes I also use those conversations as an opportunity to say. I am a conservative Christian in a liberal university and I feel victimized every day, you know? So sometimes I feel like I can say those things and it depends on the conversation, but I've had very interesting conversations with people because I'm not just lapping up the porridge, 
you know, or eating, eating what the dog vomited, just like the rest of them. Um, and sometimes I have some really interesting conversations with my leftist colleagues and with my friends who are on the left, because I do actually have friends on the left. And I'm wondering if, if you attend some of these and participate in them, uh, do you feel like you might be able to make a dent? Uh, well, I'm pretty quiet and shy at work. And I don't say a whole lot, but I've become a little bit more boisterous in the last few years. Um, I'm one in a million as a teacher because, like you said, most teachers are on the left, far left. Yeah. And they make that well known, and they try to shoot me down and shut me up. So I've become yeah. a little bit more boisterous in all of this. And stood my ground. Good and for I, you. I, you. I'm know, glad that I've you're willing asked, to stand your ground. Yes. I've told a couple of teachers, you can't lose your sense of self. You still have to stand up for yourself. And they said, oh, I've lost myself years ago. So they, they just give in and follow the herd, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they sold their soul to the company store, didn't they? Right. But Go ahead, Phil. Phil has a question for you. Okay. And so, what are you? Uh, what are you advocating for? Are you uh, advocating for for the children to be in the class longer, or more hours? Because uh, I am of online I, meaning? versus online teaching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I I feel that kids should be in the classroom with the mm-hmm. teacher. The online doesn't work. Maybe for the mm-hmm. few that are. Good students that have motivations that have response parental involvement and the uh, ability of the parents to be involved with it, and that's where I was going. Uh, I homeschooled my last child, my youngest child, and I thank God that we did because we have uh, we had six kids; they all went to public school. And then the last one, we homeschooled her from the time she was six. And she is the only child that I have that uh, is not a flaming liberal. Wow. 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 See, I think that this is a great opportunity right now. I keep saying this. Your kids are at home. You have listeners, you have the opportunity and the responsibility to both engage with your students' learning and also to teach them your family values. Mm -hmm. You have the opportunity to undo the brainwashing that's been going on while you're engaging. I mean, I think that, I guess the next question that I have, Donna, is do you actually feel safe in the classroom from the COVID? Do you feel, are you afraid of the COVID? Are you afraid of the kids running back and forth and bringing you viruses because they went out to the grocery store with their parents? No, not at all. I feel completely safe going back to the classroom and teaching them like normal. But I know that they're going to set a lot of limitations. um, For the fall, they're already saying, if we do go back to the classroom, everyone has to wear a mask, K through 12, including all the staff. Um, yeah. It looks like the staff may be able to choose a plastic um, uh, shield instead 
and all the kids can't be sitting in groups anymore. They have to face all one direction. I, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, I think that's okay. My, uh, I, we have a sound effect for you. Hang on. <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 do you feel like that sometimes as you think about what the future holds? Uh, just going to the grocery store is that sound effect every time I go into Kroger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here, here's here's my thought on the mask issue, and. You know, I may be a little bit different than my colleagues here on the show or even than you are. Yeah. But here's the way. Yeah, well, obviously, for, for the obvious reasons, I'm different than the guys. But, uh, you know, for one thing, I'm tougher. Um, <laughs> I can, you know, I can. Yes, I can kill the deer and I can butcher it. And I don't think either one of you can. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch um, about masks. And here's, you know, I was talking to another person who is another conservative as he went into the store wearing a, a Trump 2020 mask. And then he said to me, I can't hear you while you're wearing your mask, you know, which was funny because we were we were, you know, having a conversation about them. I wear the mask when I go to the grocery store for one reason and one reason only. I do not know what the guy next to me is dealing with in his health. I do not know what the old lady riding that mobility cart may have asthma or may be on an oxygen tank at home. I do not know because my dad used to have emphysema. When my dad was alive, he had very advanced emphysema. And so if me wearing a mask can prevent the transmission of a cold virus or something else to somebody else. And the only way that it does, I know Ed's got his hand up because he wants to rebut me. However, get over it, Ed. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, here's the thing. It may not stop the transmission of everything, but it'll help keep some of my spit to myself, okay? And when my, I also feel that if somebody is in frail health that, or if they're afraid, stay home. But it should be my choice, not the governor's dictate. And it should be my choice, not my employer's dictate as to whether or not I cover my nose because I breathe in through my nose. I should be able to at least not have my nose covered because that's where I'm breathing in and I'm not spitting from that. So anyway, okay, Ed, go. You want to argue with me? Ed, Ed, tell her about the, the particle size of viruses. <laughs> Well, well, absolutely. It, but it's not the particle size of the virus per se. It's the particle size of your spit. Well, wait a minute you now. Know? See, you, I don't stand closer than six feet to people in the store, and I don't wear a mask. And I think of other people, and I give them the room they need. But I'm not going to let them dictate to me. I will be courteous. And if there's, some, if there's a reason I need to get close, I will pull out the mask and put it on to make other people feel good. But I don't want to be that enabler. Well, I, I can hear that. I hear that. Phil, you want to chime in on that? Well, I wear the mask uh, when I go in. I have a real problem with it because I work construction and I have a little bit of uh, extraction in my, in my lungs from asbestos exposure. But uh, and it's it's I really struggle with it if I have to keep it on any length of time. So yeah. Uh, but uh, but you know I see my I, dad I, couldn't I, have I worn a on. mask. 
Yeah. yeah, my dad couldn't have worn a mask. Oh, here we go. Hang on. Don't go anywhere. It's coming. It's coming. Fast forward that. Young teacher, the subject. <laughs> this is for you, Donna. So bad. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, you got it. We're going to get to it and then we're going to stop the music. Here it comes. There we go. Don't stand so. Don't stand so close to me. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) Okay, anyway, a little levity to our conversation. So, you know, we've only got like a minute and a half left. Donna, what do you want us to think about? Give us, kind of close us up here. Tell us, tell us kind of what your fears, frustrations, whatever are in like a minute and a half. Uh, I'm scared to go back to think that uh, it's going to be like a, a war zone, that they're going to have us all wear masks. Um, they're talking about having only 15 kids per classroom and they're going to do the rest online. I don't like doing that. And I'm hopeful that if it goes to the governor's next step, step five, that we could just teach these kids in person. They need that. And just okay. go back to normal. Okay. Yep. Thank you. And that's the end of the show. We got to go. But thank you so much, everybody. Great show. Thank you. All right. <laughs> You've been listening to a moment of clarity on Wham Talk 1600 with your hosts, Galene Dietering, Phil Stargell, and Ed Bondarenka. Be sure to tune in again next week, right here on Wham Radio.